Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. This is Jay Hart with a special edition of Amazing Conversation with my friend of this June to be 43 years now, Daryl Strawberry. We're getting old. Yeah, Amazing Conversation. We, we are getting old. We have I mean, seen. we first met uh, June of 1980. 1980, we were at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, I met your lovely mother, Ruby. Yeah. yeah God, it seems like, and Joe Torrey was there, my first manager. Every time I see Joe, he says, you always got me fired. <laughs> But you had you had pretty good success. How many? You, you had all four with the Yankees, right? World Series. Three. I had one here. That's right. It was four, it was right three and one with the Yankees. So let me ask you: you you know I've been here a long time. For me, with the draft coming up this July 9th to 11th, you know nobody came drafted with more pressure than you. Uh, our number one pick in 1980, the Black Ted Williams, on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Do you remember what kind of expectations you had when you found out you were number one draft pick? Yeah, I know the expectations were high. I, I was going to either be the first pick or the third pick, right. which they picked Billy Bean with. And he was a he was a quarterback, right? He was thinking of going to Stanford. He was going to Stanford, yeah. um, and they were talking about maybe him being yeah. the first pick. And they said they didn't think I'd be left for the second pick, and they picked him number three. So um, I was in class and. It was just a great day. I mean, I had a great baseball season, high school season. Um, it was time to move on, and I wanted to see what was next for me. Just remembering all the players that I played with the year before when I was a junior in high school. We went to the city championship, 1979, and we played at Dodger Stadium, and we lost uh, to John Elway and them. They beat us in the uh, city championship that year at Dodger Stadium. And four different players got drafted off my team, and... I thought that was pretty cool, and I thought maybe I might have a chance uh, to be drafted my senior year. And there was, as we went forward, um, the season began in high school, and I just remember all the scouts there. And I remember the scout for the match was Roger. Youngwood, right. Yeah, yeah. and Harry Minor. Right, he just those, passed away a couple of years. Just right? passed away a couple of years, yeah, yeah. Those were wonderful guys, and they followed me that whole senior year. And, and they were telling me they were thinking about picking me. Number one, they got the first pick, and, and there I was being compared to the – called the black Ted Williams I was like well who is Ted Williams yeah. you know I mean I, I mean I followed baseball but I only knew the Dodgers but I grew up in LA and knew the I, Cincinnati Reds I think it's just a million times your name was Daryl Smith <laughs> do you think all the, the hubbub would have happened I mean how much part do you think your name played into it I think my name had a big part to do with it but I think what stood out the most was 
being 6'6", six, six, I think that was right. uh, a big frame. You know, which most scouts say they look at an athlete when they're young, and they look at him as when he fills out, what will he be like? And I think that's what was looked at for me. You know, they were looking at the size I was and, and can run and play the outfield, and I pitched a little bit too, but I think they really recognized that I could hit the ball too. And I was in high school, I was hitting the ball a long ways, you know, with the aluminum bats. You think about that if they had it in the major leagues, what, what kind of hitter the players could be. But um, you know, even the more pressure when you were drafted, we were a bad team in '80. I mean, right away you're going to be the savior. You know, we were in the World Series in '73. And the years weren't great after that. I mean, do you feel the added expectation of being a savior for an organization when you got picked? No, I really didn't. Um, I, I think the important things that I was thinking about when I was young was to really develop and try to get to the player that I believed I could be. Um, I know the team was bad. I remember in 83 going to spring training, and I remember um, George being the manager. Um, and I remember him playing in some of the A games and I had some success and I just thought it was really cool that they gave me an opportunity to play. I didn't know if I was going to make the team coming out of spring training. I think they wanted to take me, but I think Frank didn't want to do that. Uh, he, he thought I was a little bit too young to probably be coming here and playing and having those type of expectations uh, to carry a team And in New York City. This is a big city. and. When the expectations are high on you in a big city, uh, fans are going to expect you to uh, produce. And, and it's, it's challenging for young athletes to be able to come here and think, you know, they could just walk in and produce. And I didn't just walk in and produce right away. I came after a month of the season. I think I came in May, up in May. And the season was already started, and I had to come in and try to play. And the expectations were great, and the fans were starting to come. And, and I got off to a really rough start. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What would you tell the young guys? You know, we have a lot of veterans on our team, but also we have a, a, also young guys like Mauricio, Vientos, Beatty, Alvarez. You know, some of them are doing good, some of them struggle. What would you, you know, you struggled. If you had them in a room here today, what would you tell those young guys of, of trying to make it in New York? I would tell them, keep coming to the ballpark early every day keep working and I would tell them don't work on what you're strong at work on what you're weak at and why I say that is because that's what Jim Fry did with me he knew I would eventually turn around and become the hitter that I was supposed to be at that level but he made me come to the ballpark to understand working on all parts of your game is going to make a difference of how long you're going to stay here and how much success you're going to have here so I would tell those young players, don't just focus on and think it's all about hitting. Um, it's all about your all-around play to develop your play of the kind of player you want to be. And if you do that, you're going to be able to climb the ladder and achieve great things. It doesn't mean it's all going to happen in your first year, your second year. You can have some good years um, in the big leagues, but you're going to also have some hard times you know, because it catches up to everybody. Everybody struggles. 
And can and, and the thing about it is, if you work hard and you go through some struggles, you'll be prepared uh, because you continue to work Especially hard. Especially in New York, right? Everything. This is Pittsburgh. No offense to Pittsburgh, but if Beatty go the other day, he made an error, and you know, of course, with part of it lost. It's that it's a hundred percent more magnified in New York than than in other places, right? Well, of course it is. I mean, it's it's the spotlight, but it's it's part of it. It's part of playing in a big city. You're going to make mistakes, and can you handle the pressure? And that's what young players have to learn. It's it's a lot of pressure here. Um, you the fans are going to get on you, but it's not personal. Um, I never took it personal when the fans booed me. I, when they were booing me, I took it as. I need to play better. And I realized that they saw the talent that I had and they wanted me to play better. And I understood that. And I think that's what, what guys have to learn I mean, you took on fans in Boston, specifically, I remember. <laughs> you know, the chance that you, you would be waving up and down, Daryl, Daryl, Daryl. That's a different animal there, you know, when we go to Boston. the same thing, no? I mean, I, the same thing. And I didn't make a big thing out of it. Everybody else was making a big thing out of it. They said, well, what do you think about the fans chanting your name like that? I said, well, at least they know I'm in the ballpark. You know, that's the way I kind of looked at it. Um, I think some players take that personal, and I really don't feel that way about fans. I've always felt like they're part of what we're doing. And when you go on the road, fans should boo you because if, if the, to me it always meant if they're booing you, that means you're good. Yeah. If they're not saying nothing about you, then oh well. When we brought you up in May, early May of 83, I mean, again, we were a bad team again. And I, you know, I always felt that, you know, that one of the mistakes I made, I opened you up to every interview, you were going to be the savior, you know, uh, in the Mets. And, and how hard was that, you know, to, you know, to expect you to hit a home run every time out, you know, to do, you know, and then, and we, it's a little bit better than Keith got here, right? That took a little bit of the pressure well, off. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was that hard, you know, to be able to overcome that. I think that was part of, the learning curves for me. I needed to learn that. I needed to learn that if I was going to play at the highest level, at the major league level, they expect me to do well. And I expected myself to do well, too, uh, once I got going. There's no doubt about it. Like I said, it's a up-and-down roller coaster ride that players go on, but I just didn't want to stay on the down. I wanted to stay on the upside. And for me to stay on the upside, that means I got to believe in myself and I can't let all the noise that's going on around me be a distraction. I think if you start getting consumed with that, uh, it becomes a major distraction for you, and you start thinking about too many other things, and you start putting more pressure on yourself. So I learned playing here that when I ran out on the field at Shea Stadium, that I would not put pressure on myself to play. I would just play. Carol, another thing that happens to Joyce, the All-Star game. 84 was your first All-Star game. Do you have any memories? of the first game and how you felt when they told you you were selected and getting and starting and stuff like that later on? It was like a big dream. You know, when you think about it, and I watched baseball for so long growing up, and baseball has always been my favorite sport. But it was a major dream to me to be able to know that I was going to the All-Star game in 84. I had watched so many All-Star games. That All-Star was Houston, game. right, if my memory – that was Doc pitching that game? That was Doc pitching that yeah. game, yeah. I, I had so many um, – so many great memories of just watching baseball, seeing the All-Star game, and and realizing that one day I wanted to be there. When I was a kid growing up, I was always watching baseball, and I was always thrilled about Major League Baseball. I was always thrilled about the All-Star game and seeing that classic in the middle of the season and, and, and say one day, you know, I want to play in this and I want to be a part of this. 
And I was, you remember who told you you made the team? Was was it uh, was it Davy or probably it was Davy? No, I mean. No, I think it was you. Wasn't it? it was me. I was. I mean, it, I mean, you were a big part of all of what we were. When you think about it, and you look back over Jay, you you kind of handled. You were the PR for us, and you handled all the situations, and you knew about the All Star games, and you knew who was making it. And, and who, yeah, we had a good with Gary and Keith, and yeah, uh, and, uh, yeah a lot. Of, and Sid wasn't Sid. Sid, yeah, Sid, Sid, Sid yep. made it. El Sid made it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For a couple of years, you were really not involved with the Mets. You were, you know, uh, how does it feel with the new ownership that, you know, I, you know, the Cones have reached out to you, Steve and his wife, Alex, made you feel welcome, that they, they helped you with your ministry charities. How does it feel like you're kind of like back in the family again? Now? Well, I just want to be, you know, always remind people I'm very thankful for Steve and Alex and what they have done and, and how the organization is taking a different turn from, you know, what it used to be and, and, and taking a direction of looking at the history of the match. Because I, I, like we're telling the fans today, you know, the history of, of the New York Mets, they had some really pretty good players here and some guys that did some great things and some guys that were able to accomplish a whole lot. And, and me, for me to be here eight years and be on seven-time All-Star, and win the championship and rookie of the year and and be a part of you know the, su- the success each year of of the teams we had was exciting for me and was exciting for the fans because it was the fans the, the ones that poured out to see us play and now you have the own the owners you know that are taking the front step of bringing the players back that meant so much to the fans here and I, I think it means a lot to all of us to uh, received that and the support, you know, I, I got from my golf outing of the Mets, you know, donating things and, and, and helping me with that. Uh, has really I mean, been a your blessing. life is an open book. I mean, everybody knows your life. Um, that, I, is it 20 years you alcohol-free? Alcohol yes. Um, that the, the June, we had a, I was in a, a great tournament, raised money for the strawberry ministry. You were Tracy ministers, 15, 16, 17 guys from the 86. You know, Bertie Williams was there, you know, Gary Sheffield. What did it make you feel like to, you know, to be part of something like that? You know, let me say, the question I always get sometimes, don't you think Strawberry Goodrich should be in the Hall of Fame? My response is, maybe, maybe not, but what these guys are doing now today, especially you, is better in the Hall of Fame. You're affecting people's lives, making things better, try to help a kid with an addiction. That's This is what life is all about. Yeah, I mean, life life has more to it than just to say, look at me, um, I was a great baseball player and put on a uniform and excelled and achieved all these great things. You know, had I not got derailed, you know, my life would have been different for us from a baseball standpoint. But from the life of who I am today and the man that I am today, I get to do some really cool things. I get to uh, stand on some really incredible platforms and really help a lot of people. Speaking of um, that, you told me today, a week or two, you're going to go to a maximum security prison 
in, in um, Pennsylvania, right? Yes. To speak uh, to convicts there. July 13th, 14th, yeah. I'll be in the maximum security prison. And he says it's like the first time you've done that. No, I do a lot of those up in um, Pennsylvania, right by um, right. Penn State. It's right next to Penn State, actually. It's a big prison, and I saw it one time when I was up there doing some ministry work. And I said one day to myself, I'm going to go into that prison and minister to the guys, the inmates in there. So I'm headed there this year. Um, I finally got that door open where the chaplain got out, uh, found out I wanted to speak there, and he reached out to me, and, and it finally worked out. And so I'm excited about it. Um, I'm always excited about it when I go behind the gates like that and inmates, 20, 2,500, 2,800 inmates on the ground. And I get to go there. The wardens, um, they let me come in, and they just freely let me bring hope. And out of the 365 days, how many days do you think you're on the road for? Probably about 260 right. or 70 times out of the year. So my wife really loves me, so she, she loves me when I come home, so it's a, it's a good thing. And people say, well, how does it work in your life day to day? Well, first of all, we're not kids. You know, I'm 61, so we're a lot older now and more Two-time mature. Two-time cancer survivor. Two-time cancer survivor, and we have a lot of work to do. My wife is very busy. 24-7. Um, she works at the church and she's always helping somebody. And I'm on the road. I'm always helping somebody. So it's a it's a busy life. Just like it was a baseball life. And traveling and playing baseball. But this is like this and bringing fans together and bringing people together to cheer you on. Um, this time I'm I'm winning souls. Help people change their situations uh, because the circumstances of people's lives uh, could be devastating. They don't believe they can get out of it. Remember what time I interviewed you in prison one time? You did, Jay. You came. I, I was totally shocked that you would actually come visit me like that. And that's what I love about you. You you was always special well, you know, know, to me. And not only me, but you was always special to all, all the guys of us that played here. The 86 team was special. To, you know, it was, it was such a bunch of characters and personalities and you know, maybe because I was just out of college and I bonded with the guys. It was something <laughs> not just because we won. No, I but know. the way we won. The, the the other teams hated us. We got to a million fights. Yeah. Mike Tyson loved us because we got to a lot of fights. Yeah, he did, he did yeah. like us. He wanted to come see us, and he yeah. came to Shane and visited right. me and Doc before he was a heavyweight champion. Well, and listen, I, I enjoy awesome. hearing you speak. I treasure our friendship, and you've really done great, Straw. You've really done great. Things. Well, thank you, Jay. I treasure our friendship too forever. And thank you for your time, my friend. Thank you. Always, Jay. Always, man. Yeah. Thanks, man.